Not in my house. Oh, no. No, my mother had a rule, strict rule. If you found your present and you saw your present before Christmas and she found out about it and she always found out, it was supernatural. It was crazy how she could just know that present went back. Ooh. That present went back to the store. The year was 1982. E.T. had just come out that year. And I was the same age as the boy, Elliot, in this movie. I was Elliot. Okay, that's, I, I was. I was the kid with the Reese's Pieces. I, that, was, that was me. And I mean, and I had, everything was E.T. And Star Wars. Okay, granted. And Indiana Jones. Okay, anyway. Anything Steven Spielberg or George Lucas. So, I, I, there was this E.T. creature. I'm not going to say doll because I didn't play with dolls. But there was this E.T. thing that I wanted so bad. So bad. It was my main thing that year. And so I, I, was, I couldn't stand it. My parents would always take a night and wrap the majority of the presents. They would close and lock the door, their bedroom door. They would, they would just have a, a wrapping party and, and, and wrap everything. And for some reason that night they took a break. I don't know why they did it. I don't know where they went in the house. I can't remember that part. All I know is it was open. That door was open. So I snuck in. They were still in the house. Stupid kid. Anyway, I went in, and I'm looking around for a box that would be about the right size. And she would always take stuff out of the box and put them in closed boxes so you didn't know what you were, you know. She was way overkill. Anyway, <laughs> Kathy knows what I'm talking about. So there's a box that should be about the right size, okay. So I get over there, make sure the coast is clear. I slip up the box and behold, E.T. is staring back at me. I was like, <laughs> trying to hold in the screams and the, 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 you know, all the excitement. And so then I tried to get the lid back on the box. The lid didn't want to go back on the box as easy as it came off the box. And so I'm struggling with this stupid lid. And you know what happened. Guess who comes walking through the door? My mother. Immediately, I fell into the floor. And then instantaneously, alligator tears. Because I knew what was about to happen. And I'm begging and I'm pleading. Surely, because she knows how important this is going to be, she won't take this back. My mother did not give that present to me on Christmas morning. Now, so that whole day I'm thinking I had lost it. What she did was she gave it to my aunt to give it to me Christmas night. But all day long, I thought I had lost E.T. E.T. was going home, right? <laughs> so for kids, listen, there's no problem with the awe. The awe of Christmas is there. But for parents, sometimes it's awful. Come on. 
All right, Stephen. It's awful. I mean, come on, the, the fighting the traffic, trying to come up, you know, how much money we're going to spend. And, and then, you know, there's the, the, some of, sometimes we have to go to these, these Christmas parties that are a little awkward because you go with your spouse and you don't know anybody and you go in and you're like, I just saw y'all look, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. Kathy and I, I think I told you this a few weeks ago, we have this shopping tradition. We do it all in one day. We do it all in one. It's like a war room. We go in and we plan. All right, we, we, we got to get this for this person. We, here, we got to go there. I mean, literally, it's down to the second, and we go and we do it. Amazon is a wonderful thing, by the way, because that has really shortened that day dramatically. But that's our shot. That's when I think Christmas, that's kind of what I think about is that day of doing all that shopping. And, you know, what does your Christmas look like? What does your experience look like? What's the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear the word Christmas? Maybe it's a movie. Hollywood has made millions on movies based around the holiday season. Why? Because there's so much incredible material. I mean, come on, really, you've got fantasy, you've got comedy, you've got magic, you've got faith. I mean, you've got an endless amount of material. Maybe the first thing you think of is one of these classic Christmas movies. Now, we're going to have a little fun this morning. Is that okay? It's Christmas, right? We've got to have a little fun. Don't worry. We're going to get into the Word. I'm going to hit you hard like I always do. Well, don't, don't worry. We're going to get there. But our movie taste, kind of like our music, is, is, is largely based on our age. For instance, my dad, he's 77, and he has not had Christmas yet until he has watched uh, Charles Dickens, Ebenezer Scrooge, or A Christmas Carol, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, my mother, who is a little bit younger, but female, and I think that's the main difference there, she has to watch the Christmas musical. She hasn't had Christmas until she has watched White Christmas. And then she gathers all of us around the piano. She gets her music, her sheet music out, and we sing and play White Christmas. That's my mom. Now, for those of us in middle age years, this movies, these movies take on a little different turn, more of a comedic, funny turn. So when you think of, of, of these movies at Christmas, you might think of some of these. And if you're young in this place, you're younger, let me proudly introduce you to Clark W. Griswold. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, great. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing. I pledge allegiance to the flag 
of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. <laughs> and hey, what about little Kevin McAllister defending bravely his home on Christmas Eve from those evil men? I got you! I got him, Harry! I got him! Harry, get up! Give me a hand! Ow! I got him! Harry, help me get up! doing, Marv? Harry, don't move. Marv? Don't move. Marv, what are you doing? the best. There's so many more. There's like, you know, Jimmy Stewart, we, helping an angel to, to get his wings in a wonderful life, or the Grinch a, attempting to steal Christmas only to be, you know, enchanted by little Cindy Lou. Did I say that right? Cindy Lou who? That's hard to say. But there is one more clip that I want to share. One more movie that rises above them all. And a character that just unites us and brings us together as a family every Christmas. Enjoy. It's me, buddy! It's me! Hey, buddy, how you doing? It's me! Who the heck are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, Why, of course I am! You're Santa... What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <laughs> <gasps> he's a monster! He's a
Classic, classic, classic. Now listen, all of these movies, all of these movies are a caricature, an exaggeration of what we really do go through. I mean, honestly, we we go through some stuff at Christmas trying to make it all happen and come about, and these movies are just an exaggeration, a funny exaggeration of those things, but they all have one thing in common. They are not real. They're not real. The problem, the danger, parents, is that the fiction of Christmas gets intermingled with the story of Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. And then suddenly, to our kids, it's all make-believe. It's all make-believe. And to a great extent, that's exactly what's happened in our country. We no longer live in a Christian nation. You know that, right? We live in a post-Christian nation. This nation was founded on biblical principles. The writers, the crafters, the framers of our Constitution could assume something very easily, that everybody who would read it was a Christian. 200 years ago plus, that, that was assumed safely. You cannot assume that anymore. We cannot assume that anymore. We no longer live in a Christian nation. So if we, as believers, lose the awe, come on, listen. If we lose the awe of the real Christmas story, if we lose the awe of a baby born in Bethlehem, of shepherds watching their flock in the field by night, interrupted by a chorus of angels singing, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. If we lose the awe of the magi coming from the east, guided supernaturally by a star, if we lose the awe of that story, listen, our children will never know the true meaning of Christmas. Because as I said before, in the, after the singing, they're not going to get it from out there. Everybody look at me. They're not going to get it from Hollywood. They're not going to get it from school. That's sad. But if they're in the public school system, they're not going to get it there. They're not going to get it from their friends. They're not going to get it from the media. If they get it, it will be from us. And it will be from the church. What we value when it comes to Christmas is what they will learn to value. Now, I want you to write something down. And I didn't get it on the board. And I didn't get it to them in time to get on the board. But I want you to write something down. This is one of those tweetable moments, if you will, if you want to do this on Facebook or whatever. The depth of our faith will determine our children's connection to the Christmas story. The depth of, I put our in big letters, the depth of our faith will determine our children's connection to the real Christmas story. Today my goal is to strengthen our faith by helping us remember the awe 
of Christmas. And for me, listen, there is no greater faith builder than the word of the living God. The best way I know to restore your awe for the Christmas story is to remind you what a miracle it really was. None of it was happenstance. Nobody could make this up. It happened over hundreds and hundreds of years by different writers. Prophecy after prophecy until finally Jesus was born. There are 351 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at each and every... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Some of you just had a heart attack. It's all right. No, I do. I do want to look at a few of these from the Old Testament and match them up to where they are fulfilled. To me, there's no greater faith-building way to do that than looking at the Word and how it all just fits together miraculously. Are you ready? We're going to move fast. We're going to put some on the board as well. Micah 5 and 2 tells us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And we read in Matthew 2, 1 that Jesus is, in fact, born in Bethlehem of Judea. Isaiah 7, 14 informs us that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Pretty specific. Matthew 1, 22 quotes this very scripture in Isaiah when talking about the birth of Jesus. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. In Genesis 12, 3, we find out the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham. Now, this is, this is the, the 12, 3 there is when God meets with Abram, hadn't even changed his name yet, for the first time. Do you know how old Abram was when he met with God and got the promise from God the first time? 75 years old. You've heard me say the last few weeks, you senior adults I know have keyed in, you guys are not done yet. God uses every age group, every age group in his word. Abram was 75 before he even received the promise, and it was 25 years before he held the promise Isaac. God promises that from him, God would birth a nation and that through that nation, the whole world would be blessed. And we know what he's talking about through Jesus would come from him. In Matthew 1.1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. You know that big long thing that nobody reads in, in Matthew 1? It is, it's, it is boring. You try to read it, begat this person, begat this. Begat. It is so powerful, though, if you understand what it's trying to say. It is confirmation of this very prophecy. Genesis 49.10 predicts that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Luke has his own genealogy. In Luke 3.33, it confirms this in his genealogy that he does, in fact, come from the tribe of Judah. And then John in Revelation 5.5, look at the board. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Hosea 11 and 1 lets us know that the Messiah would have to spend a season in Egypt. And we know that in Matthew chapter 2, Joseph takes Mary and the baby Jesus and escapes to Egypt, getting away from King Herod, the madman, the crazy lunatic who went and killed all the little boys in Bethlehem because he was worried about his throne being, being taken away. And then in Jeremiah, a different prophet, 
at a different time prophesied the same event, including specifically the massacre of the little boys in Bethlehem in Jeremiah 31, 15, which is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. The prophet lets us know in Isaiah 43 through 5 that a messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. We know that by reading all of the Gospels that that messenger was John the Baptist. In Isaiah 11, 1, the Messiah is called a Nazarene. Does anybody remember where Jesus grew up? Say it. Nazareth, that's right. That's confirmed in Matthew 2, 23. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 tells us that the Messiah would bring light to Galilee. Where did Jesus do most of his public ministry? It's not a trick question. Galilee, that's right. Confirmed in Matthew 4, 13 through 16. Is this okay? We're building our faith. One stone at a time. Psalm 78, 2 through 4 informs us that the Messiah would speak in parables. What was Jesus' primary form of teaching? Say it. Parable. You're getting better. This is confirmed in all of the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke. Isaiah, I love this one. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, declares that the Messiah would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. And in Luke chapter 4, 18, Jesus waltzes into the temple in front of the elders and the scribes and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this very scripture and he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the fulfillment of this scripture. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen claims that the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. Zechariah 12, 10 speaks of a soldier piercing his side. Folks, pause. Crucifixion hasn't even been invented yet by the Romans when they wrote that. Come on. You can't make this stuff up. Those men had never even heard about what they were writing about. But the power of the Holy Spirit was upon them and they prophesied about what would happen to the Messiah. And we know in all of the Gospels, we know the the, the account of the crucifixion. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. The soldier did pierce his side exactly as he says. In Isaiah 53, 5, the prophet declares, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We know this is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus is stripped naked, tied to a whipping post and beaten with the cat of nine tails, whipped whipped beyond recognition. They tore the flesh from his body And he did it for our healing. And Isaiah 53, 9 predicts that the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave. Folks, that is specific. Hundreds of years before this happened. Are you hearing me? Are you allowing your faith to build this morning? Hundreds of years before this happened, Isaiah predicts and prophesies that Jesus would be buried in a rich Man's grave, the Messiah would be. And in Matthew 27, 57 through 60, describes how Joseph, this is what it says, a rich man from Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus and laid him in his rich man's tomb. Come on, praise the Lord. 
But in Psalm 16:10, we find out that the Messiah would resurrect from the dead. And in Matthew 28, 2 through 6, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Prophecy after prophecy, detail after detail, Jesus is the the only one who could be the Messiah. He fulfilled all of them. Come on, give him praise. Jesus is the Messiah of God, our Savior, our Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all foretold. All planned out. All intentional. The word says Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. What does that mean, Pastor Allen? It means God knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew what was going to happen, and he did it anyway. It's not a Christmas fairy tale. It's not a legend. It's not just a good, it's a good story, but it's not just a good story. It is real. Say that with me. It is real. Now with some faith, it is real. You may be sitting here this morning and you came in and you're a visitor and this whole Christian thing is new or you're just kind of feeling things out. Let me tell you, you can't make this up. The Old Testament prophecies going into the New Testament fit seamlessly If you're a logical thinker, like I am, that's important to me. Jesus is the Messiah. It is real. There's a Greek word, theumazine. It means to have your breath taken away. Now, people who came into contact with Jesus use this word a lot. In the New Testament. And what's cool about it, it wasn't just used by people who loved him and believed in him and followed him. That would be normal. But people that hated him and despised him used the same word because there's something about Jesus. Love him or hate him, he will take your breath away. Watch, please. Thank you. A star shall come forth.
Faith now. I always get choked up watching that. I have, uh, I have three daughters, and they're all in that age group. It's hard. I mean, it's just, you know, Mary was probably 14 to 17, 18 years old, something like that, and just to see her and. Did you, did, you, did you see the awe in Joseph's eyes when he held his baby first time, baby Jesus? Did you know the, or see the awe on the face of Mary as she gazed up into the star of Bethlehem? At the end of that clip, I love it. I love it. The Magi, one of the Magi turns to his friends. What does he say? How is your faith now? How's your faith now? Teenager, how's your faith right now? Young adult, single adult, single parent, how's your faith now? Middle-aged person, how is your faith? Senior adult, How is your faith? You've heard the prophecies and you've been reminded of the story. How is your faith right now? I hope the awe of Christmas has been somewhat restored to you in the midst of all the chaos and the busyness and the make-believe. Because Clark W. Griswold is funny. (laughs) but he can't strengthen your faith. 
Jimmy Stewart can inspire us to maybe live a more impactful life, but he can't change your life. Oh, Ebenezer Scrooge can maybe teach us something about giving and being generous, but he can't transform our heart. An elf, I have no idea what he can teach us, but he's funny. Listen, all of these characters are fun to watch. The whole thing is fun, it is. But they are not real. These extras of Christmas can never save us. And sometimes they confuse what the whole thing is all about. Here's the big idea today, and I'm closing. Jesus is the central character of Christmas. Jesus is the awe of Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the awe of Christmas. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can restore. Only Jesus can transform. Only Jesus can heal. And only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus. Say that with me. Only Jesus. One more time. Only Jesus. Let me give you a final word of hope today. (laughs) I love this. If Jesus was able to fulfill all of these prophecies about his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, don't you think he's going to fulfill all of the other prophecies about him coming again? Don't you believe that because he was willing to fulfill the hard prophecies about the suffering servant, that he will also fulfill the prophecies about the reigning king of glory. Let me just help you. He will. He will. He will. He is faithful to his word. And if he fulfilled all of the other ones, then I have to believe he's going to fulfill the end of the book as well. My God. Listen to one more verse. One more. I promise. It's a prophecy yet to be fulfilled. Written, listen, gosh, over 500 years before Jesus was even born. Daniel 7, 13. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So how is your faith now? Give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.